0: Welcome back to Pink Noise Radio. Today I'm here with Carradwin Deller.
1: So it's Carradwin. So care like Care Bear, id like the ego and id, and win like we're all winners. So Carradwin.
0: <laughs> Reframe your brain. And that's what we're here to talk about. It's almost like mindset shifting is your vocation, is your specialty. Why is that important to you?
1: Well, it's sure makes living this human existence a lot easier when we have and recognize the power that we have to acknowledge our feelings, our thoughts, and notice when they're serving us and notice when, Hey, this could use some, this thought process could use some reframing. This mindset isn't serving me. It's not serving the people around me. You know, it's for, it's not about ignoring emotion by any means. It's about acknowledging your emotion. It's about acknowledging and noticing your thoughts and then deciding what to keep and what to let sort of float down the river, if you will. So, mm. I'm a hypnotherapist. I also use the title Mindset Coach for when I'm working with people in states that don't have hypnotherapists there. <laughs> um, and I think that hypnotherapy is gaining traction and awareness. Um, But I don't think it's really there. I think there's a lot of confusion on what it means, what it is. And so I would love to share a little bit about what is hypnosis and if that's all right with you.
0: I'd love for you to share more about what is hypnosis because what what I'm witnessing in you is someone who's come to the table with this beautiful intention to create more kindness and more contentment in the world. Mm. And it's, it's what compelled me to invite you on the show. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is showing up with this thread of aliveness that is helping to reduce anxiety and stress and create more peace and ease, well, those are people with wisdom that deserves to be shared and heard by more folks. Thank you. I'd love to hear uh, the background. It's, I've only experienced it one time. Uh, My friend, Lorraine Clarkson, she's in St. Louis. And we were roommates at a level three leadership training of authentic relating last summer. And she did hypnotherapy on me around my scarcity issues, Mm. um, financial resources, Uh, getting paid for my time, creating a business model that rewards me financially. I have some blocks around that.
1: You're not alone in that. A few of my teachers have, you know, I could probably quote a couple of them, but they say all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. I think one of the biggest myths that the movie industry paints about hypnosis is somehow something forced upon you. And that's nonsense. The movie industry really paints a, a very fictitious idea of hypnosis in general. Um, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And we go into self-hypnosis, we go into states of trance quite often. A really common state of trance that is very similar to hypnosis that people are often familiar with is when they're watching a movie. So. Hypnosis is a state of focused attention and heightened awareness of your inner experience that leads to heightened suggestibility. And that's anything that you yourself want to suggest to yourself. Maybe it's more of something or maybe it's a shift. Letting go of limiting beliefs. But so this this idea of focused tension and heightened awareness that leads to heightened suggestibility. A really common time is if we're watching a movie, and let's say we've stopped thinking about what the actors are going to say, and we've stopped thinking about the costume design choices, and we're really in the movie, right? We're right there in the action. And maybe something happens and we laugh or we jump. That in itself is a state of self-hypnosis. It's a state of light trance. And so it's a very similar sort of state. Another really common time that we go into hypnosis that you might have had is if you're ever watching something or reading something or maybe even lost in thought, and somebody's come into the room, you didn't even realize it, and then they say your name and you sort of have that snapping out of it feeling, you're snapping out of a state of light hypnosis. So a lot of people are surprised that it can feel more like this coming home, like this familiar feeling. In this sort of otherworldly feeling. And people could do hypnosis with their eyes open. They can do it with their eyes closed. It's not a state of sleep. And it's it's something that, the way that I work is in a really relaxed fashion. So you could be feeling hypnotized and feeling all sorts of emotions, because just like that movie you're watching, right? What you're paying attention to. But I work in a very relaxed fashion, so oftentimes people feel a sort of warmth and heaviness, if that's a comfortable feeling for them. Other people might feel a sort of feeling of floating or lightness. And other people might feel like a, they're just really relaxed, listening with their eyes closed, but maybe having some sensations. One thing that's really common is you feel this sort of tingling sensation in your fingertips, which is kind of fun and nice to know about beforehand. But it's this sort of quieting of the conscious mind That's, I think, the key to it. You have your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. And your conscious mind is really good at being judgmental. It does a lot of good for us by being judgmental. And it's also sometimes what gets in the way. So hypnosis quiets the conscious brain enough so that we can get more messages into our subconscious and more understanding out of our subconscious. So when I'm working with somebody, we're in dialogue. We're actually talking. You might be listening at it sometimes. You might be answering questions. And your conscious mind is still there. So at any time, if you want to open your eyes and turn off Zoom, you can. You're in full control the entire time. I think that's another myth about hypnosis. You're in full control the entire time. But it quiets the conscious brain enough so we can get more of that connection with our subconscious. And it's there that those suggestions can come in, that we can understand maybe some of those limiting beliefs that are holding us back. And we can access those resources so that we can connect them with where we want to go so that's just some sort of light light framing around hypnosis that i think is really important to people here because you know i think there's i think there's some benefit to thinking that it's magic but it's i i feel and I, the work that i've done the studies i've read the learning i've done it's more neuroscience than anything, and it's giving yourself permission to go into the work with a curiosity and playfulness. It's very playful, and learning. We I teach my clients these quick, effective, and often fun techniques that they can then go and use and do their own little mini self hypnosis for a few minutes a day, and actually rewire those rewire those neural pathways and create more of those changes that they want, whether it's around behavior or thoughts or emotional regulation, whatever it is. So I love the work. I love talking about it.
0: And is there a, a reframe that you find you're dealing with again and again and again? Are you, do you notice patterns with, uh, with the people you work with?
1: I mean, it, it, the general theme is this is, this is hard or I can't, right? And then you fill in the blank. I work with a lot of people who have anxiety. Um, I would say the most, most of them have that worrying about the future. There's a smaller percentage that ruminate on the past, right? We're always sort of living in one point on our timeline, right? We can be in the present. That's excellent, but not always easy to happen naturally or we can live in that future negative space that what if this bad thing happens we can live in that past negative space oh why did i say that or why did she do that but there's also like these lovely spots like that past positive spot thinking back on wonderful memories we've had with others or that future positive spot which is that looking forward to something or imagining things going really well and so you know i do a, i do a, a wide variety of work with my clients and with myself Um, But some of the pieces of that is noticing and learning how to notice where am I in my timeline right now? And is that where I want to be living, right? Is that where I want my mental space to be living? So I think often it's about acknowledging and noticing our thoughts. And there are some people out there who are, they have that voice in the head, right? It's like a radio show playing all of the time. And then there's a lot of people who kind of feel like that feels like a metaphor, the voice in their head, and it's more of a sensation or feeling. And so I think it takes a little bit of understanding of how to bring up to conscious awareness, what is it that we're really thinking right now? What is the story we're telling ourselves? What are we believing so that we can then say, is this true or do I want to keep this around or do I want to step into a new reframe? You know the the new year, January, is a time for a lot of people to reassess kind of where they've been, where they want to be. I think New Year's resolutions maybe are losing a little bit of popularity. Um, But I've noticed also the that sort of word of the year has become more of a theme the last couple couple years, which I think is neat. I do a word of the week because I don't know where I'm going to be mentally and emotionally a month from now, two months from now. So I do a word of the week, which I'm I'm playing with this year, but, um, those are some themes. Those are some themes.
0: What's your word of the week right now? Delight. Mm. (laughs) What inspires your word of the week?
1: Well, I do a little practice. I do a little self-hypnosis and centering and then checking in with the words that come to mind. If it, if it, resonates if it feels good if it brings me like some like that yes feeling that forward movement or if it's like that feels like a should and then I let that that word thought kind of float on and but I, I uh delight's actually been my word of the week for two weeks now I'm totally giving myself permission to to replicate the word of the week uh because it's a lot of fun I uh I've definitely used it for things that I'm like oh I gotta do this and it's like what if somebody was delighted to do this right? What if somebody was able to like plop into a life where like this was their task that they had to do right now. And that was delightful for them. How would I be in this moment? How would I see this through new eyes? And that's really fun.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad you gave me an example of how you use your word of the week. Cause that was the question that was showing up for me is, so you name this word and then what do you do with it? Like, how do you dance with that word throughout the week? And you just gave me a perfect example of when you feel resistance in a situation and you use the word to pivot, to flip, yeah. well, to reframe reframe <laughs> your brain around it.
1: That's right, that's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what tools in your toolbox do you use to create more awareness of what you wanna notice? Like that seems to be step one step one is notice what it is you're thinking and then decide if it serves you etc and that first thing is to like slow down enough to, to listen and what are some of the ways that you have tapped into that
1: well i think sometimes it's listening sometimes it's feeling right i The work I do with my clients is work I do with myself, right? Um, Sometimes it's checking in and being like, wow, wow, my shoulders are barking at me right now. What are they really trying to say? And like you said, it's it's getting a little bit quiet. It's taking a minute. I love screens. I love audiobooks and Kindle apps. And I'm on my phone a, a lot more than maybe I will be in the future, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's interesting taking that moment to just pause and say, you know, what is it, what's happening for me right now? I think my biggest, the biggest question that I ask myself lately, when I feel like I'm in a place of struggle that doesn't feel, it doesn't feel appropriate, right? Because this isn't about just feeling good all the time. It's not about like, oh, I just need to be this happy, positive person all the time. I used to believe in that years ago. I thought that was like what the goal was of being human. But And I could go into that a little bit more, but to answer your question first, the question I asked myself again and again and again is what am I believing right now? What am I believing right now? And it might be that, I'm believing that somebody out there is going to see this Instagram post and they're going to find something wrong about it. Okay. I'm believing right that right now. Okay. That is what I was believing in that moment. Well, what else could be true? Right. What else could be true? Well, somebody could see this Instagram post and really love it. And it could really make their day. Or somebody could see this Instagram post and be like, whatever. <laughs> cool. There's Caredwin. And that's okay but it's really checking in what bringing that to conscious awareness what is the belief behind this feeling what is the belief behind this thought and i think that you know we talk about what we believe in with this weight and i think that checking in and reevaluating reevaluating our beliefs is a really healthy practice and i think that i used I, i'll speak for myself i used to have this this thought that changing a belief had to be really hard and it would have to take years and years or at least months and months. And it was like this, this really hard thing. And then I learned this awesome way of shifting beliefs and all these like very playful, you know, hypnosis, self-hypnosis practices that it's now really fun. And sometimes I have to shift those beliefs of quite a few times to actually, you know, change the neural pathways that have been You know, grooved in into my brain, but I really like, I really like the process of checking in what am I believing right now, what else could be true and allowing myself to step into a new belief. And this is about what am I believing about myself or what other people's judgment is. This isn't about believing in science or anything like that, just to be clear you know, I believe in science to is what I want want to make sure I'm, I'm believing that somebody's going to interpret what I'm saying to mean that I don't believe in science. So I'm now rambling quite a bit, but there you go.
0: <laughs> I'd love to know more about how you got into hypnosis. Mm. It sounds I, like you use that on a regular basis for both yourself and others.
1: I do. So I'm a hypnotherapist. It's um, in Washington state. We're fortunate that it's actually um, um, read, something you register with the Washington State Department of Health. It's very different state to state, um, but-
0: and, and why is that a benefit?
1: Because there is a process and an understanding that there's a, legit, a legitimacy to the work. Um, there, I also think that, so there are certain states where you have to be called a hypnotist, which a lot of my colleagues prefer that, and they like that and the terms can be used synonymously. However, there's a whole different group of people out there who are hypnotists, who are stage hypnotists, and they are performers and entertainers and illusionists. And that is very different than the work I do. And so when I actually got into the work, my my husband kind of joked, half jokingly saying, can you rebrand what it is like these two fields? <laughs> because it's very, it could be very confusing. Um, but to answer your question, I want to back up a bit. I first got into the wellness industry in 2003. I was a massage therapist, and I loved the idea of helping people. However, I couldn't handle the quiet time. (laughs) I couldn't handle the, I mean, I I like to talk, I like to listen. And once in a while, you'll get somebody on your table that likes to talk, but it's a pretty quiet profession. Um, And then I got into working in marketing. I first worked at a theater for many, many years. And then I started my own business as a social media marketer when Facebook pages became a thing and Twitter became a thing. And I ran that business for probably at least eight years, maybe more. And um, somewhere along the line, sort of later in my profession, I was working with amazing clients, Seattle Art Museum, Century Ballroom, but I noticed that being on social media all of the time was really affecting me. It was affecting my energy. It was affecting the way that my brain was working. And like any good tool, it can be used for good and it can be used for harm. And I also just wasn't feeling so inspired by it anymore. Um, So I started, I was really expecting a sort of lightning bolt of inspiration to tell me, this is your new work. This is what you need to study. This is what you need to go do. And I was like, okay, lightning bolt, I'm ready. Where are you? And what happened was it sort of showed up more of like a slow and it was like a electricity, slow building electricity. I, I got really caught up in trying to figure out the, what, what should I be doing? What is the job? and that wasn't working and so i tried i i took some time off even thinking about it and then i got to a place where i do this sometimes i thought about like my very old self looking back on my life and saying what if what would my what will my future self be proud of be happy that she spent all her time doing and instead of focusing on a job i created a mission statement and i said i wanted to help people be kinder to themselves kinder to others and more content. And I used to say more happy, but I think that happiness is this sort of peak. It's not always, it's it's a wonderful experience, this happy, happy feeling, but it's not you're always going to be part of your experience. What we're really going for, I believe, in our human experience is this level of contentness, contentness this okayness, this feeling of I can handle even the worst storms, the hardest struggles that come my way. And I can also celebrate and be really present in my life when those good times are here, those good moments. So I got this mission statement, right? Kinder to myself, kinder to others and more content. I wanted to help people with that. And then I started just looking with a sort of curiosity of what are people doing out there that that fills that, that that echoes that. and So I looked at, I talked to therapists, I talked to psychotherapists, I talked to coaches. And around that time, a friend of mine had posted on Facebook, they were looking for a hypnotherapist. And I did not know what a hypnotherapist was at that time. And I was like, why is she looking for a magician? Uh, (laughs) And so I actually looked into the work and found, oh, this is a very different thing. Um, And I posted on my Facebook asking anyone if they knew of anyone for my friend and for myself, just out of curiosity. And a friend of mine from college knew somebody in Seattle who's a very, uh, very popular, very uh, effective, awesome hypnotherapist. And so she was willing to do an informational interview with me. And I got really excited because it was very effective work. It was very efficient and it was very playful. And it was different than anything else that I had experienced in my own journey with therapy and, um, and connecting with others. And so I hired this hypnotherapist, Kira, um, and we worked through one of my specific fears that I had. And I went from having a whole bunch of fear around driving to the point that I was canceling plans that involved getting in my car and driving for 10 minutes because of that fear. I went from that to driving multiple road trips that summer and enjoying it and actually saying, no, I'll take the next stretch to my husband because I was enjoying the process of driving. Um, and so I had firsthand experience of seeing how quickly this was after two sessions with her and one session with another hypnotherapist. I just fell in love with the work. I dove in, I started learning from a bunch of different teachers, some of it online, some of it in person, flew to New York and studied with Melissa tears who is fantastic. And, uh, And I became a hypnotherapist.
0: (laughs) I'm just sitting here stunned by your story about driving. (laughs) In two sessions, you went from being terrified, canceling dates, to driving on road trips. What can you explain about what happened in those sessions? Are, Are you able to reveal? Sure.
1: So part of it is bringing subconscious beliefs, limiting beliefs into conscious awareness. And some of it is rewriting neural pathways. So, you know, I had homework, I did a lot of self-hypnosis, which was quick and easy and, and fun and playful. Um, and some of it was changing the relationship with the quote part of me that was creating that fear getting to know and really understand it so that I could shift my relationship with it.
0: And so did you have to find the time in your life where something around driving scared you? I
1: knew consciously some of the reasons why I was fearful of driving. There was no, for me, there was no, oh my gosh, I had forgotten this memory. And that's not necessarily needed to be able to do the work. I there are definitely people in my field who focus on what we call regression going back to the cause or one of the early times. And that can be very helpful, but it wasn't necessary for me, it's not it's definitely not necessary for a lot of people, most of my clients. We focus on where you are and where you want to be and then getting to know that that part of you that's currently creating that fear to change it, Uh, but I mean I don't need to go into my history around cars and and my family history around around vehicles um i already knew that part was there but what i did get to know was like what did that younger me start believing back then i want to be really clear the work doesn't always need to do the regression work to do the what happened what is the memory sometimes that sub our subconscious hands it to us and says you need to look at this that shines a spotlight on it and we can handle that in a really careful and kind and sweet way but it i think that a lot of times people are fearful that they have to come up with something that they're not aware of or they don't want to go back into and i think one of the things that sets me apart from um some other practitioners out there is that that's not where the heart of the work that I do lives. Um, but sometimes it's sometimes it's necessary, right? I live I've worked with people with fears of spiders that they had they sort of lightly remembered a thing that happened when they were 5 but it came up in a session and we handled it and we dealt with it and they felt safe the entire time. For me the work around driving and my particular fear, my story the heart of that was changing the relationship with the part that was creating that fear and understanding what was underneath that behavior, that emotional response, what it's positive intent was. So we can get down underneath the layers. Okay, it's like, oh, I'm having this fear. Well, when you have this fear, what does that do for you? When you have that experience, what's underneath that? And that's where, Ah, uh, that's where the juicy stuff is. You know, the work I do, it's called, you know, parts work, parts therapy. Um, there's some, all sorts of different variations of ways of doing it. But really the heart of it is what does this part really want for me? That's good. What is its positive intent? And when we can get that, we can actually let this part see and grow up or understand, Hey, the, we know you have this really good intention. The way you're showing up your day job, it's not working for you anymore. So let's get it to have some kindness and understanding, some forgiveness around that and say, okay, you have all this great energy. You have all this good intention. Let's apply it to something that does work. So I was able to take that fear, give it some love. Instead of stacking a negative emotion on top of a negative emotion, give it some love and understanding. Let it know, hey, buddy, this isn't working anymore. Let's find something that does. And I realized like, I was actually able to be more present, more aware of my surroundings when I'm driving and enjoy it. And it's in that peacefulness that I was able to actually feel more safe. The fear wasn't giving me that feeling of safety, even though our, our brains think sometimes that does. The fear wasn't giving me safety, it was giving me the opposite of that feeling of safety. But being able to be present and aware and kind to myself and to tap into resources, right? That's another thing that that I did with on the client side and then that I do with my clients is, what do you already have in maybe an area that has nothing to do with this that you can call in? Maybe it's that courage or that feeling of just like, I got this, this is no problem, that you can call in and we can come up with some really fun ways that work to call that back, whether it's through visualization or kinesthetically, So that our body can remember what it feels like. And we can kind of copy and paste that feeling into the scenarios that we want it.
0: I love that calling on your other resources. It's almost like when you're, when you're in a place where, you know, you use the word fear, right? Like, so there's this block that comes up. And when we remind ourselves what we're capable of in a different area, we can maybe create some self-appreciation. Right? Kind of, oh, look at what you did over here. How'd you get that done? What did what did you use to 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 take that powerful path?
1: Exactly. And I can see you're already seeing how this can apply to like the tasks that we do, the way we show up, you know, that whatever that block is of that that thing on our to-do list that we know maybe might only take us 15, 20 minutes, but we have all this resistance around is being able to say, what part of me, where's there somewhere else where I feel resourceful, where I feel excited or maybe, maybe excited as a stretch, but I feel like this is, I, this is completely doable. Being able to patch that in. There's, there's things like color breathing that allows those of us that can do some you know light visualization there's anchoring you hear that term a lot which is about creating a physical anchor like pinching your finger and thumb together calling that back in when we go into these resourceful memories these positive memories this maybe it's a place of confidence or peacefulness or whatever it is that you're looking for when we go into that in hypnosis we can anchor it in with a physicality or a visualization and then we can copy and paste that at a future moment and say okay now i'm in that moment and i'm seeing that task on my screen and i'm there's that color there's that finger and thumb and i'm feeling that resourcefulness or i'm feeling that confidence it's awesome i i i love this work i love i mean i use it every day myself and so it's really it's really joyful and fun to be able to to share it with others too i'm
0: curious about this mission that you created for yourself. Um, When you said you were looking for that lightning bolt cancer of what is my what? What am I here to do? I heard you say that you thought about what is the experience that you want to be responsible for, right? You, You mentioned even like on your deathbed, reflecting back, what mark do you want to have left? And this idea of being kinder, You know, how can I be kinder to myself? How can I be kinder to others? How can I create more contentment? How can I help others create more contentment? And when you talked about that, you brought something up about happy that you Mm. used to think it was about being happy. And you decided that the more important goal, if there is a goal or objective, is to replace happy with contentment. And I know from our past conversation, that there's a really good reason why. And I wonder if you'd share that here.
1: Absolutely. Well, happiness, in my experience, is a peak. There's this sort of mountain-like shape, right? This peak of happiness. And when you have these sort of peaks, there's these these ramps up, which can be really good, feeling good, but there's often ramps down. And it's sort of this, like, this Disneyland feeling. Like, if I was at Disneyland, like, this idea of, like, being in this, like, Disneyland, okay, I like Disneyland, but this Disneyland vibe, right, all the time, it's not really sustainable. And I do think that, like, we enjoy the experience of happiness because of contrast. We don't need, you know, there's this sort of um, push to being, like, positive all of the time. And I I really don't think feeling happiness all of the time is what the human experience is designed for. I don't think that's how we work as human beings. I think contentment is more of a plateau, is this lovely high plateau, which you're able to see what's good around you. You're able to feel hope, hopefulness. You're able to experience what is, and notice those feelings of gratitude. And even on those really, really terrible days, those days where it seems like everything around you is outside of your control and it's going wrong, you might not feel, you definitely aren't going to be feeling happy and you might not feel what identifies as contentment, but there's this okayness, this I am in my core, I am okay. And I think that that is more of the goal. Since I kind of re-evaluated that or reframed sort of my goal of happiness, I've also kind of discovered this idea that I think maybe it's culturally, we have this sort of message that we're always supposed to be happy. We're always supposed to be in this great mood, and I think a lot of... Um, A lot of consumerism is based on that. Right. You marketing works if it's like I'm going to create a hole for you so that you can buy this thing and fill it up. Right. So. That's beneficial culturally to these to all the organizations that are trying to sell something. But when we have this idea of happiness is the goal, we're supposed to feel good all the time, it sets this bar to being. Feeling happy, you're succeeding. You're doing it right. Feeling anything less than or anything different than happiness, something's wrong. And feelings are a compass. Feelings tell us something. They communicate to us for something that we need to change this. We need to step more into this, right? So what if we shift that line, that pass-fail line, if you will, to am I feeling and listening to that feeling wow that means i'm succeeding am i shutting off that feeling am i always numbing am i denying myself those pauses to recognize my feelings that's where that's you need to you know there's some growth opportunity there in those moments but am i feeling maybe i'm feeling sad maybe i'm feeling grief maybe i'm feeling boredom boredom can be healthy right so I started telling myself and reminding myself, like, oh, I'm feeling this right now. And I name it. I'm feeling this. Oh, look what a good job I am doing right now at being human. Look at what a good job I am doing right now being human. I am feeling sadness. I'm feeling these feelings, right? And that permission of giving yourself credit and, and, and saying good job when you're having those really unfun feelings, they're not fun, when you're having those unfun feelings and you can still say good job, I'm doing a good job at being human, like, oh, that's been a huge game changer for me. That's been huge, so
0: yeah. I notice I I have some emotions just hearing that, like I feel so touched. I feel so touched by that gesture. It feels really graceful and compassionate to yourself. Yeah. What a good job I'm doing at being human. Yeah. When you talked about the differences between happiness and contentment, I got this visual of just how unattainable the happiness scale is. When you said anything less than that, according to advertisers, is like a you're doing it wrong. And changing that pass-fail line, I love that language, Kara Duane, I love it. That sounds so helpful, like almost as if I can feel liberated from the pressure. And something, to reveal something about my past, I grew up in Victoria, BC, and my parents took my sister and I to a church on Sundays up until the age where um, a part-time job in high school or I was playing sports and we had team games on Sundays. So until other things in life took a priority, this is what we did. The mantra that was told every day Every, every Sunday, the beginning of the opening prayer, the most important thing in life is to be happy. When you are happy, you make others happy. Mm. And I believed it. I owned that statement. I owned the shit out of that statement. I've gone through the rest of my life believing that the most important thing in life is to be happy. And when you are happy, you make others happy. I even had a ring made and it was engraved um, uh, in French. I'm trying to remember how it all went. Oh, Mm -hmm. um, vivre la vie avec amour, which was live life with love, because the mantra of the church was LLL, stood for live life lovingly. So there were these beautiful messages that came out of my Sunday school experience. But I put happiness as the, the top of the tier And any other emotions were almost unacceptable. Mm. And it took me until this fall, October, at a leadership retreat in Denmark, where I had a bit of an emotional breakdown for the first time. Like, mm, I don't want to say ever, but maybe as an adult, like I'm in a crisis mode and I need some support. And one of the conversations that came out of that was, what happens when you're sad, Sherry? Can you remember a time when you were sad? Were you you comforted? Was it okay? And what I found was that it felt alone, it felt isolating, it felt scary, and it felt unsafe. That being sad was not okay for me. And it, it, it felt like a very alone place. And so um, a, a lot of healing has happened since that experience in October. That was, I mean, just three months ago. Yeah. But this being with all of your emotions without making them wrong, yeah. like, why am I just learning that at 50?
1: Because right now is the perfect time for you to learn it. And it's, It might be that that old belief helped you when it needed to help you. And maybe this new belief is what you need right now. I think that your ring was different though. You didn't say happy, you said love,
0: right? What was it? Viva la vie avec amour. And I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. I I studied French in school growing up in Canada, but Mm Um, I, I don't speak it now, like to anyone. And but, well, so the, the ring had three mantras on it. Choisisse sa destiny is about choose your destiny okay. because I didn't so much believe in fate that mm-hmm. I have, I, that my choices define my destiny. So Choisisse sa destiny and "Viva la vie avec amour is live life with love. That was the, um, that was the translation of live life lovingly. And the piece I failed to mention, which was actually the opening sentiment on the ring was it's happiness that matters. Uh, And I'm forgetting how to say that in French right now.
1: Yeah. I'm not knocking happiness just to be clear. I really like happiness. I would like, I love happiness. it's just it doesn't serve us to think this pass fail relationship with happiness and then every other feeling isn't that isn't happiness is somehow failure that just doesn't it hasn't worked for me <laughs> so adding that love right like live like love is that key the grief that we have when we lose someone from our life whether it's physically or connectively like that's a symbol of that love. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, all of these feelings are a compass. One of the, I just want to share this. One of the simplest things that we can do when we're just wrestling sometimes (laughs) with this idea of like, how could I be more, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable or more accepting of these, what i call unfun feelings or whatever you want to call them it's just naming them and you've probably done you probably do this a lot but just saying what am i feeling right now and sometimes it's kinesthetic right i'm feeling this feeling in my where is it what does it feel like what's the texture but sometimes it's just naming it and i forget who it was maybe it was brene brown talking with one of her guests but somebody said that there was a study done where they asked people to name the emotions they feel. And people could like name like five to seven emotions. And that's it. And then we actually have a very rich, at least in the English language, we have a very rich lexicon of feeling words, words to describe our feelings. But I, I look at this feelings wheel that, I'll have to I'll have to look up who created this originally but I look at this feelings wheel and I will look at these feeling words and look them up on the diction- in the dictionary because I'm like what does that actually mean what's the difference between this one and that one and so part of it is just naming your emotions and if you only have 5 to 7 words for that that's fine just name them but I think there's something really fun I mean I like this work but I think there's something really fun of diving in and and exploring and expanding our vocabulary around feeling so we can notice what we're feeling and there is there is science there are studies behind it that's just the process of acknowledging and naming your feelings helps them pass through us faster right it's not about saying well I've just got to be in this feeling forever no let them up out and through right I when I'm having those hard feelings right it's hard for me to access you know all the tools that I could talk about when I'm feeling good, but I notice, okay, name it. Okay. Where is it? And this idea of doing a good job being human and I'm letting it up out and through, it gives it permission to flow. It's not stagnant, right? We aren't these pools of water growing, you know, mold and whatever grows in ponds. We're these rivers, right? So letting them up out and through is, is very, It's very uh, nurturing and helpful for me in those moments.
0: One of my favorite spiritual advisors is Heather Fantine. And um, I hear her voice in my head when I listen to you say that, uh, as she says, the only way out is through.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And I'm hearing that resonating in what you're saying. It's um, like integrating shadow work and our, our dark side So we have to name it, know it be with it. But it's the embracing the thing that we might otherwise suppress. We suppress it because we label it as bad. Instead of what you're saying, which is feelings are just information. And with that information, we get to decide what to do next.
1: And I think it's important to keep in mind that like it's a process. It's an experience. I don't think there's going to be a day that I reach in my lifetime where I'm like locked it in. I'm done. (laughs) Figured it out. Totally at peace with having all the unfun feelings and the fun ones. Like it's, it, it sucks to not feel great. (laughs) It sucks to, it's, painful it's physically painful and our minds can play tricks on us our minds our thoughts I think I think our are, are it's easy to feel when we're hurting or scared that it's always going to feel like this but in my experience it's never always felt anyway it's always moving it's always changing I've never had any feeling that has not left. Right. I've never had, I'm, you know, and, and that gives me peace when I'm in a very low place where I feel like, you know, on the days that I've just let myself look at the news app too many times and scrolled through Facebook, because those are my, those are my trouble places. I'm not, knocking it if it works for people. But this positive thinking doesn't work for a lot of us. This sort of positive psychology, there's pieces of it that are fantastic, but it certainly doesn't all work for me. I just think that more of us need to give ourselves grace on that. We can continue to learn tools that resonate with us, that really do work with us. And that doesn't mean that we aren't going to have the thoughts and the feelings that are, that are hard to navigate to.
0: I just keep going back to the, look at what a good job you're doing being human. Ah, and how many people need to hear that?
1: You're doing such a good job at being human. There's this desire I have for proof, for peer-reviewed studies. I love science. I love learning neuroscience. Uh, Andrew Huberman is somebody I'm obsessed with right now because he's really making neuroscience approachable to audiences free. And he's awesome. Uh, Huberman Lab. And anyway, I get really obsessed with the studies and the, the science. And there are some really great studies that show the efficacy of hypnosis in certain areas. But we don't have... All the capability of showing proof of and showing the detail of why everything works. There's some things, but not everything and that frustrates me on a personal level. I want a machine. I want to study, but it's really tricky to do double blind things. The only reason I mention this. Why am I mentioning this is because there I dive deep into understanding the why behind some things. And sometimes the answer is I'm not sure, but it, wor- it works. There are some things I do occasionally for myself, for my clients that I don't understand all the intricacies of it, but I know that it works because I've seen it work on others. I've, my mentors have worked with hundreds if not thousands of clients on this. And it's an interesting place to be, to have science and proof be so important and not always have access to that. And so that is my current journey is finding that peace and balance. For me, it's very important for me ethically to know that the work that I'm doing does work and is helpful and not harmful. And the work that I do does work and is helpful and not harmful. Um, but just like anyone that I would say, anyone you listen to, if somebody says it works for a hundred percent of the people, a hundred percent of the time, or for all the things, this panacea, I don't buy that. And I don't think that's the way human beings work. So, you know, once in a while you'll work with somebody who's like, well, I can't be hypnotized and I'm not going to convince somebody that they can be hypnotized. If you believe that you can't be hypnotized, I mean, that's a choice. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So, I don't do I don't do parlor games. I don't have people, you know, forget numbers or do things that you're going to see, you know, at a high school graduation with a hypnotist. That's fun and there's some interesting stuff there. But I'm more interested in meeting people where they are, learning what it is they want and helping them move towards those goals pretty quickly. It's it's a lot of fun.
0: I love that. I'm reminded of the saying whether you think you can or can't. Either way, you're right.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think there's so much truth in that, right? We don't need to get into it too deeply, but I think there's some problematic issues with people who completely put all their trust and efforts into manifesting and take no personal credit, right? We have to do the work. We have to show up. We have to adjust and choose behaviors that help us get places. We have to ask, we have to show up with a beginner's mind or curiosity when we can. And sometimes we're lucky and sometimes we're fortunate and sometimes we're privileged. But I think that one of the biggest things that get in our way, if we have our basic needs covered, our food, our shelter, our feelings of essence of safety. One of the biggest things that gets in our way is our own mind and what we are telling ourselves, what we are believing and checking in, noticing, pausing and saying, what am I believing right now? What am I thinking? What story am I making up of how this will go? Right? If I spent all night last night and all morning being like, I'm going to say, I'm a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to look weird from these angles. I'm going to, I really don't know how to be on a podcast. So I'm probably going to mess it up. I a hundred percent would, I'd be showing up a lot less authentically at least.
0: So what did you tell yourself instead?
1: How Sherry does at creating a wonderful space for people to show up how they are, who they are and what a joy it is. What a delight it is. That I get to have this time with this wonderful human and how fun will it be when I can look back on this a year from now or two years from now and say, Oh yeah, that was my first podcast that I was ever on. And I did a good job at being human.
0: <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Where else do you want to go today?
1: Hmm can I share something I'm very excited about? This winter, I am launching my Worry Less and Manage Stress program, which has been in the works for some time because I do one-on-one work a lot, right? I've worked with hundreds of clients and I've wanted for a long time to create a program that people can watch these little short videos when they want. And so it's designed for people who maybe the first time of the day that they have to focus on themselves is 11 o'clock at night. And maybe they have four minutes of bandwidth to watch a video. Or maybe it's just for the people who are not really wanting or ready for one-on-one work, but they want to learn some techniques and tools to help shift their mindset and their beliefs. and, And I mean, really, the title is very transparent, Help People Worry Less have less anxious thoughts, unhelpful anxious thoughts, and and manage stress because stress is just a part of the human experience, but it can get overactivated very easily. And so there's so many techniques we can do through our body, through our breath, through our visualization. So it's a little bit of self-hypnosis. It's a little bit of mindset moments. And I'm just really excited. And it's going to be affordable because people need this right now. Well, I'll be happy
0: to put a link to your work in the show notes to make sure that any of our listeners who are curious can um, get in touch with you directly. And before we sign off, what would be your top couple of, of hot tips for someone who is feeling overwhelmed with the way the world is right now? Maybe it's the stress of isolation, wondering when COVID's ever gonna be over. If you were able to to put some of these suggestions in these few minute videos, is there anything you'd wanna say now to folks listening?
1: One of the most powerful things we have control of is our attention and our breathing, and there's these tiny liminal moments that we hit throughout our day. Maybe we're waiting for our a web page to come to view, or hitting send on something. It's just these tiny little moments, and I use those to breathe. And Letting your exhale be longer than your inhale is a great way of sending a message to your body that you are safe. In this moment, you are safe. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different breathing techniques out there, but just allowing yourself to just breathe in, breathe out. Some people like a count of four or eight. Some people like three, six. I don't really, sometimes the numbers are helpful, but just letting your exhale be longer than your inhale can be a really great way I hold my breath all the time. And so when I check in and just say, oh, I'm breathing, that's really, it shifts and allowing yourself to say, okay, how am I choosing to spend the time that I have? Right. There's a lot of things that maybe people who have kids or really stressful jobs, there's a lot of their time that they have, they showing up for other people, but in that time that you have for you, you know, it's, checking in and saying, how am I feeling right now? I do that on Facebook a lot. When I know, I'm i noticing I'm scrolling and I'm wanting to argue about things and that I'm like, this will not be useful in any way. And I'll just say, okay, what is it I really want right now? And just take that moment and I count down, I go three, two, one, I'll read three more posts. One, two, three, and I'm like, okay. And just close that app. But checking in and just saying, what is it I really need in this moment? And I could go on and on. I have like so many things. I have so many things. If you're, if you, I want to send this to you, I'm happy to send this to your listeners. I actually created something at the beginning of of the pandemic uh, called comfort your mind, eight bite-sized techniques to comfort your mind. I think I said comfort the mind twice in the title, (laughs) but uh, it's just these really, really simple, easy to play with and to do. And they, all the videos are under five minutes and you can do it in a matter of minutes. Um, so let me know if you want that. I'm happy to send that your way. So
0: I sure do. I want that. All right. I want that. So I'm gonna get that from you and um bid you farewell right now. Thank you yeah. so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Sending you love.
0: And that ends another episode of Pink Noise Radio. Thanks for staying tuned. We're gonna keep amplifying the gold. So tune in next week on Cafe Racer Radio or follow us on Apple, Spotify, or SoundCloud.